This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Well, I took my question and answer time with a little extra prayer, so... I'll just give you more question and answer time next week. Hey, if you didn't get one of these when you walk in, I would encourage you to get up and get one of these. Uh, they're at all of the doors right there. Uh, we're giving these out every week as we kind of walk through our discipleship pathway. So uh, what we say at Prince is our mission is to lead people to trust and follow Jesus. That's our mission. That's what we do. How do we do that? Well, we do that by our discipleship pathway. We do that by equipping people equipping people to live an upward life of worship, an inward life in community, and an outward life on mission. So one of the things we feel like God is, is saying to us as pastors in this season is we need to do a better job of equipping you in those areas. So because everything was a little bit different, we thought during this semester it'd be great to just get together and talk about that discipleship pathway. We spent the last five weeks on what it means to live an upward life of worship. And uh, all of those are available online if you missed those. But we just talked very specifically on what it means to uh, respond to the revelation of God and just walk in daily worship. Tonight, we're going to transition to that second part of our discipleship pathway. What does it look like to live a life in community, an inward life in community, life in the church, life with brothers and sisters in Christ. And our discipleship pathway is really our way of communicating what we believe are the three most important areas of your life that if you are not growing in these three areas, you're not going to be growing, that they're inseparably connected. You absolutely have to be making progress in your worship, your love for God, your community, your love for others, and then in mission, your love for the lost. And all of those are working together. As you cultivate one, it leads you into the other, and that leads you into the other. As you begin to worship God more, it gives you more of a heart for people. As you begin to get out with people more, then you get a more of a heart for lost people. So all these work together, but we want to spend the next five weeks on what does it look like to live a life in community. And I put there on the top, our definition of community. Yes, it's the very top. I thought there was the wrong thing there. We divide community as participating sacrificially in each other's lives, participating sacrificially in each other's lives. Now, uh, this is not necessarily in your notes, so if you think any of this is good, you can write it on the back. But I want to explain to you just a little bit on why we make that our definition. I mean, we could define community in a thousand different ways, but why do we say that community is participating sacrificially in each other's lives? Well, the truth is, it comes from the idea of fellowship in the New Testament. Uh, the Greek word for fellowship is one of those that a lot of us know. It is that word koinonia. Uh, the way I know that word from a little kid, and you got to be like old school, deeply rooted, card carrying Southern Baptist to know what I'm about to talk about. But some of you are going to know. Some of you might remember something called snack. Sunday night after church, koinonia. Isn't that ridiculous? Snack, Sunday night after church. Doug Nix, you went to a snack at some point in your life. You ever been to a snack? Sunday night after church, koinonia. Now, it was a little play on words because what you were going to do is stay after church and eat. And uh, they wanted to make very clear it wasn't a big meal. Just let's stay after it for a while. And the reason they called it koinonia is because you just ate together. And there was this just kind of idea that we need some fellowship. And how do we develop some more fellowship in the church? Well, we have everybody stay after for a snack. 
But the reality is, is that really misses the idea and the point of that word fellowship. The real idea of that word fellowship means a participation. It means a partnership. It means sharing in something. It really does give this idea of sacrificially participating in the lives of others. It is something that is most mutual. It is something that always costs something. Uh, I love the way in which J.I. Packer says it. He says this, listen. It is not a good sign when a person sees no difference between consuming sweets and eating a square meal. Equally, it is not a good sign when Christians see no difference between social activities in Christian company and what the New Testament calls fellowship in Christ. There's a difference in getting together, to eat together, to hang out together, which is important, than there is in Christian community. Christian community, that idea of biblical fellowship is deeper than that. It is this two-sided, essentially, relationship where you involved in each other's lives. Uh, and it is both a practical involvement and a spiritual involvement. Meaning, when you're living in real community, you're meeting needs. You're seeing what people need, and you're taking care of those needs. My dad used to always say that the Baptist way of saying, don't bother me, is saying, if you ever need anything, let me know. Community doesn't ask, community just does. It sees a need, and it meets the need. But it is not only a practical participation, it's a spiritual participation that real community, real fellowship, real koinonia is our involvement in each other's spiritual lives. We take meals, we bless, we take care of the homebound, the widows, all of those things. But at the same time, we're also involved in each other's lives spiritually. There's a couple of examples in Acts 2, 42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. What that means is they were not only gathering for teaching, but apart from the teaching, they were involved in each other's lives in a practical and a spiritual manner. Second Corinthians 8 says it this way. For they gave according to their means, he's actually talking about the believers in Philippi, as I can testify and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So he's talking about how the Poverty of the Philippians, even in their poverty, they gave, they begged to be a part, taking part of this offering. And that idea of taking part is fellowship. What did fellowship look like for the Philippians? It looked like giving a sacrificial offering in order to participate in someone else's need. It is distinct from teaching. It is distinct from social activities. While both of those things are good and important and necessary as a means to build community, listen, you can go to a community group for 30 years and hear teaching and go to all the activities and never experience community. You know that, right? As a matter of fact, you can spend 30 years hiding in a community group when no one ever asks you how you're doing or ever asks you if you're reading your Bible or ever asks you how your marriage is or ever asks you how your children are doing or how your heart is. You can go for 30 years and never experience community. So what we wanna talk about, what does it look like to make this type of community more of a reality in our life? Reality looks a lot more like confession and prayer and diagnostic questions about what's going on in your life. So throughout the next five weeks, when we talk about community, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about getting in a Sunday school group, although that's important. It's the way in which you get to know people to build community. We're not talking about events. We're talking about your involvement, spiritual, practical involvement in people's lives. So we wanna kind of build a little case here of life in community. And so tonight we wanna to talk about the fact that you were created for community. Next week, we're gonna talk about, not next week, we won't be here next week. The following week, 
we're gonna talk about how sin distorts community, then how Christ redeems community, and then we're gonna talk about how the church develops and cultivates community. So that's where we're going. But tonight, we're gonna talk about the fact that you were created for community. You were created for koinonia. You were created to participate in other people's lives sacrificially, to give yourself, Philippians 2, as Jesus did, for the sake of other people. So what I wanna do is I wanna give you four main points, kind of building a case of why it is that you were created for community. And those are right here under your one truth is this, that you will never be fully alive, nor will you ever reach your God-given potential without living in community. And I'm gonna get to that as we walk through these four truths. But they're right there. That first one is this. You have a deep need and a longing for community. Whether you believe it or not, you have it. Now, we're gonna talk about this next week, but because of sin, you bury that or you fill it with something else but you have a deep need and a longing for community. When uh, God looked at Adam in Genesis 2.18 and said, it is not good for man to be alone, it was not simply saying that Adam needed a wife. It was saying that Adam was missing something, that God had not designed Adam nor any human being to live in isolation. God created every human being with this need to have other people involved in your life. Everybody has a longing. And again, next week we're gonna talk about how sin just kind of makes us hide from this. But deep in your soul, God has created you to long to be known and to know other people. You need people to know you and you need to know other people. You need to be involved in deeper levels, emotionally, spiritually, practically in the lives of other believers. You have this need for community. Uh, I had this... It's amazing how you have, before you get married, you just know how this all works. And then you get married and you realize you don't know anything. I think I believed when Andrew and I got married, I was from that moment on gonna be the only person she ever needed because I was fully sufficient in every way for every emotional, spiritual need that she ever had. Ryan knows he felt the same way. I mean, I really thought that like she was gonna get me. That was it. She didn't need anybody else ever. And it didn't take me long to realize that both of us needed somebody else. We both needed friends. We need each other, and that's our place of greatest intimacy and knowledge, but Andrea needs friends, and I need friends. And so I remember us trying to cultivate that and encourage you, hey, you need to spend some time, go out with the girls, have a good time, enjoy that, have conversation, have them ask you tough questions, and I need to do the same thing, that we need people in our lives, that we were never meant to be isolated from those type of relationships. Proverbs 18.1 says this, the one who isolates himself, we talked about this in family devotions a couple of weeks ago, the one who isolates himself goes against all sound wisdom. Meaning, sound wisdom says this, you need people in your lives that know you, that ask you questions. And I'm, I'm thinking about a situation in which, um, I think about a lot of situations like this, when we finally discover that a marriage is dissolving or something significant is happening and they say we've been working on this for years and what they mean is they've been hiding this for years and they haven't actually asked anybody to get involved or to help by working on it. They mean at home, they've just kind of fought a lot. But most of the time what I've discovered when someone says we've been working on this for years, they actually haven't invited someone else into the situation or other people into the situation in order to help. The truth is, is we need it and we long for it and to live in isolation goes against all sound wisdom, all good judgment 
It goes against the way in which God has created us. So that's the first truth is that you need it and you're created for it. And listen, living in isolation without those kind of people in your life is a dangerous, dangerous way to live. But the reason that's true is because the second point there is that God created you in his image with that need and longing. Now, the reason I know you have that is because I know that God created you to have that. Truth is, is that we were created in the image of God and by being created in the image of God, we were created for community. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says this, and if I had to pick one text for tonight, it would be this. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God eternally existed in community. The Father, Son, and the Spirit eternally existed in community. Before the world began, God was infinitely happy in himself. He had infinite community within the Trinity. The Father, Son, and the Spirit eternally existed in community. This is why in John 17, 5, which is a very important text, for, uh, for the, the, the relationship that the Trinity had from eternity past. It says in John 17, five, and now father glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Before the world existed, the father and the son, the spirit had a relationship. They lived in community. I think about the way in which that community of the Trinity was working in our salvation. The father sent the son The son then sacrificed for our sins and it is the spirit that is applying that to our hearts, making us aware of our need for that. It is the father, John 6, that is drawing us to himself. It is the son that is making it possible for us to come to the father. And it is only by the spirit that we even know that we need anything from the Lord. So them working together in community to save us. So by being made in the image of God, God has made you to not live in isolation because God himself does not live in isolation. We were created in his image for that kind of community. The third point is this, is that we cannot fully live for God's glory. We cannot fully live for the purpose of which we were created, to reflect his image outside of community. If you're living in isolation without knowing others or being known by others, if you're not allowing yourself to get into those kind of relationships in which you're participating in each other's life, it is impossible for you to live in such a way that God is ultimately glorified through your life. Now that should be a humbling statement because you exist to reflect God. You exist for his glory and the very idea that you cannot fully do that unless you're living in community is really an incredible thought. Now we tend, and this is because of sin, we'll talk about this next week, but we tend to constantly think about what is best and easiest for ourselves. Uh, I will tell you this, in my experience, when a church really is about to experience uh, a great work of God, and uh, by God's grace, I've been in some seasons in which God really began to work, the first thing that always happens is members start thinking more about others than themselves. 
It's just what always happens. So you stop hearing a lot of the, well, what about me? And what about this? And well, I liked it this way and I needed it this way. And well, we've always done this and we've always been here. And we've all, all of that is basically our way of saying, I come here in order to get my needs met. And while all of us have needs and they are met in this place, when God begins to work in a church, what happens is everybody walks in and says, whose need can I meet? What can I do? to help this church further the kingdom and do what is best. Who can I minister to? Who can I get involved with? Most of us walk in waiting for someone to, to serve us when the reality is, is we walk in saying, who can we serve? And that's when we God, God begins to work in a church. But the truth is, is we all tend to bring things inward. And when we're bringing that many things inward, then we never will seek real community. Because it's not easy to seek community. It's it's costly, it's risky to seek community. So every time we begin to turn inward, then we never seek community and as a result, never are able to really bear the image of God. I actually uh, brought with me uh, tonight a great illustration that I left in the backseat of my car. Uh, but what I brought is I stole a mirror off of one of my daughter's walls. I'll get it back before she sees it tonight. And I was going to hold that mirror up at a 45 degree angle, right like this, where it's kind of shining out this way and showing that the way this works and where we bear the image of God is that God is shining upon us. And as a result of him shining upon us, then that reflects out to others. So as I am the person God wants me to be, I'm allowing God to form me, to make me. I'm submitting myself to who God wants. So I'm going like this, God, whatever you want, I'll do. The more I do that, the more the light reflects off of here and goes out to others. What we tend to do is turn the mirror the opposite way. So it's looking at ourselves. And when the mirror is looking at ourselves, the only thing it does is cast a shadow of ourselves on the ground. So instead of getting the real substance of Christ, we end up just getting the shadow of something lesser. What God is saying is what I want you to do is I want you to turn that mirror and you say, God, what do I need to do in order to glorify you? And one of the answers that God would give you is this, you must be in community because God is a community and no one will ever fully know me through you unless you were known by others. John 17 says it this way again. God, I'm praying that I would be in them like you are in me, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. You know, I was, I was thinking about this today that one of the reasons that a pastor loves unity in a church is just because disunity is messy, Right? So we all want unity, but unity is much better than disunity. Uh, but the real reason we want unity is because unity reflects the Trinity. That's what he says in John 17. We're one. Father, you and I are one. I want them to be one in the way we are one, experiencing community, real fellowship, so that through them and their relationships, others might come to know who the Lord is. It is impossible for you to do that when you're not living in community. So we are missing part of the purpose for which God created us without it. But all of that leads me to the final statement, which is there, which is this. We will never be fully alive, nor will we ever reach our full God-given potential without living in community. God has created us in such a way that we can't fully grow. Uh, we can't make the progress God wants us to make without others in our lives. It's just, it's just true. We need honest people speaking into our lives, 
We need people that have the freedom to say, I'm seeing this and I'm noticing this and that needs to change. If we don't have those kind of things in our life, not only the rebukes, but the encouragement. I noticed that God is doing this in your life. Praise God for that. We will never fully live and experience the fullness of everything God has for us without living in that type of community. Now I think about the book of Hebrews, which has some of our most important statements in Hebrews 3 and in Hebrews 10 about community. Hebrews 3 says this, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Meaning this, that if you don't have other people in your life exhorting you, you're going to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is where we have, do not forsake the assembling together of the brethren, as is the habit of some, but all the more encouraging one another day after day. And I find it interesting that those type of texts are plentiful in the book of Hebrews, a book that is all about the dangers of drifting away and not receiving the fullness of God's promises. So in this book, in which the whole admonition is, do you, admonition is, do you want to get a hold of the best that God has for you? Do you want to get the fullness of all God has for you? Well, then you better have other people in your life who have the freedom to encourage and exhort you and rebuke you in the name of the Lord. The reality is, is that we don't even really have a way to know where we are in our relationship with God without others. I mean, first John is very, very clear that the primary test of the authenticity of your relationship with Jesus is your relationship with other people. So if we want to experience the fullness of life, if we want to really make our God most of our God-given potential, then we have to live in community. You know, when I say God-given potential, this, this is deep for me. I've communicated this in some of my midweek videos, but a couple of years ago, God really stirred up in me this um, both, I think, surrender to certain maybe dreams or ambitions I might have had and replace that with a desire to simply do everything God has for me and nothing more and nothing less. Meaning, God, all I want is to accomplish everything you have for me. I don't want what anybody else does. I don't want what they have. I don't want their success. I don't want their church. I just, all I want to do is everything you want for me. I just don't want to miss what you've got for me. And I'm satisfied with that. And when I say your God-given potential, what I mean is this, is God has stuff he wants to accomplish through you. He has incredible things he wants to do. And you will absolutely, without question, never get there if you're living alone. If you're living without people in your life that you're having community with, you will never get there. When I was, uh, when I was young, my dad used to always buy lawn boy lawn mowers. What's the deal with these lawn mowers? Do they still make lawn boy lawn mowers? They don't, do they make them anymore? No, they don't make them anymore. Uh, they were green. And the reason I hated them is because they had a two-cycle engine which means they wouldn't work without both gas and oil. Super frustrating because if the tank got a little bit empty and you wanted to add some gas to it, then you had to figure out how much oil. I just never was. Like that basic math never was good for me. So I couldn't even do that. I didn't even know. I just, I hated this. And if you didn't get the mixture right, it didn't really work right. But as I think about this, you've got two essential ingredients. You have to have gas and you have to have oil, but neither one of them are sufficient without the other. Both essential, but neither sufficient. That's exactly what we have in this idea of loving God and loving others. We say, well, what is the greatest commandment, Jesus? Well, there's two. 
You love God and you love other people. Meaning both of these are essential, but neither one are sufficient without the other. That both of those things have to go together. If your life's gonna work, if you're gonna make progress, there must be this passionate pursuit of an upward life of worship And then there must be a passionate pursuit of an inward life in community, giving yourself sacrificially for other people. And the way that this begins is not waiting for other people to engage you that way, but you taking the effort sacrificially, deciding that you're gonna be involved in people's lives spiritually, emotionally, uh, in whatever type of way that you can. One last um, story and and we'll be done. C.S. Lewis had three very close friends. And they knew each other very well. One of them passed away. And C.S. Lewis believed that once that one passed away, he would then know the one that was still living even better than he ever had before. And it makes sense because there was three of them and they were sharing the conversation. And now there's only two of them. And so he just assumed that now that the one was deceased, he would know the other better. What he realized is it never happened. That he never did get to know the other one in a deeper way. And he realized that the reason it never happened is this, is because the friend that was deceased brought certain things out of the friend that was still living that C.S. Lewis never could bring out of him. That they needed each other in that way, that there was no real community, any deeper community without the three. And that really is a good picture of you and the Lord and other people. We can never get the most out of our relationship with the Lord. We can never get the most out of our relationship with each other without all three of those together. My upward life of worship, working on my inward life in community, working on an outward life of mission, those have to go together. So just know this. It's not only a lonely place to be, to live in isolation, it's a really dangerous place to be. I'm confident there's some of you tonight who are in this trajectory toward a hardened heart toward a dangerous situation. There's things in your life that are just, there's some embers of some sin and some temptation and some things that if you don't get someone else involved pretty quickly, then those things are gonna take over. And it's because you've not allowed other people into your life. Some of you are headed in that dangerous pathway. And tonight what the Lord wants to do is wake you up and make you realize you've got to humble yourself and find these types of relationships and experience real community but you're going to be in a very dangerous situation soon. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.